so regarding notable women of the Bible. And uh, already we have looked at Eve, the mother of all living, and uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene, the one who was devoted to Christ. And this morning, uh, we want to look at uh, Mary and Martha. And we'll put the two together because they are inseparable in Scripture. And so we'll do that. So if you come with me, please, in the Bible to two places, uh, to Luke chapter 10 and John chapter 11. Uh, Luke chapter 10 and John chapter 11. Excuse me. Luke chapter 10, I'm going to read from verse 38 to 41. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away uh, from her. Uh, Dr. Luke here introduces us to a family, two sisters and a brother. Uh, Lazarus gets mentioned a little bit later in John. And these trio had become a very, uh, had become very dear and precious friends uh, of Jesus. Uh, they lived in Bethany, which was just two miles from Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. And this would be a home that Jesus and his disciples often went to. It would be a place where they could be felt totally relaxed in a very welcoming atmosphere with great hospitality. Martha, we believe, was the eldest of the two. Uh, certainly, she's mentioned usually first uh, in the in the tax. Uh, also, we perhaps we, we're not sure, but Martha maybe was a widow. We're not sure of that, or maybe just never married. Maybe she was a spinster. But certainly there doesn't appear to be any husband around, and both of them are living with her brother. But it seems to be Martha's house because it says that she invited Jesus into her home. So it seemed to be her house. Now, both Luke and John record for us uh, three separate incidents in which Mary and Martha were involved with Christ. And we want to look at these three incidents this morning, and let's see what we can learn from these two notable women of God in the New Testament. First of all, at the home of Mary and Martha in Luke 10, where we have just read together. Now, preparing a meal for such a a large entourage as Jesus and his disciples, uh, well, that was no mean feat. And oftentimes, it would be at very short notice but Mary or Martha seemed to revel in such tasks. She was task-oriented. She seemed to be wired that way. And maybe that would reflect you too this morning. Maybe you're task-oriented and maybe you like to be doing. That seemed to be the nature and the personality of Martha. And also, as the eldest, she 
often took charge, and we see her taking charge in this story here, especially in the kitchen. However, whenever a special guest like Jesus and the disciples would come, well, that put extra pressure on, because everything would just have to be just so, it'd have to be precise, have to be just correct. That was the nature of Martha. She was fastidious that way, that she just had to be, everything just had to be uh, quite right. And so the table would have to be laid, the vegetables cooked, the lamb roasted, refreshments poured, and of course the house would have to be clean, wouldn't it? And again, she would revel in such things as cleaning the house. Uh, The furniture would be dusted, the chairs would be put in place, the curtains would be tidily drawn, uh, no doubt fresh flowers would be put on the table, and the pillows would be fluffed up, and the napkins and the towels would all be neatly laid out. All she needed now was just a little extra help in the kitchen. But, of course, she had Mary to hand, and there would be no need to panic. And so while the men would talk, and Rabbi Jesus, well, he never missed his opportunity to talk about the things concerning the kingdom of God. And so while the men would get on with that, Mary and her, they would get on with things in the kitchen. After all, that's what the men would expect them to do, would it not? And so the men could talk all the theology they wanted, but Mary and Martha, well, they had more important things to do, like making sure the food was ready on time. And so the men would be seated, and soon the conversation would be underway, And Jesus would hold court, as he always did. And uh, you can be sure they were talking about spiritual matters. And Jesus would impart onto them some of his pearls of wisdom, especially regarding the kingdom of God. This would take place, of course, while Mary and Martha would be toiling in the kitchen. Now, Mary, of course, uh, would periodically, uh, Martha would send her out into where the men were to lay the table to put some food on the table. Perhaps they would start out with maybe some fruit, maybe some figs or some apples or oranges just to whet the appetite. And then she would come again maybe in another 10 minutes and maybe put some meat on the table. So she would do that periodically. But while she was doing that, she was listening. She was hearing the words that Jesus was saying. And there, and there came a point where she just couldn't resist any longer. And so instead of and back into the kitchen, she sat at Jesus' feet. Now, we have learned from our study in Mary Magdalene that sitting at the feet of a rabbi meant that you were a disciple, that you wanted to be a disciple, that you weren't just listening, but you wanted to learn. You just want to hear, but you wanted to understand what he was trying to say. And so we understand from that that Jesus, of course, uh, was a very unconventional rabbi. He, he was very unorthodox in that he did have women as disciples, which was highly unusual to say the least. And so Mary, being Mary, uh, was greatly interested in what Jesus had to say and just forgot all about going back into the kitchen. Meanwhile, Martha is slaving away in the kitchen. Uh, And I can imagine her being in there, uh, and the sweat's on her brow, and she's got all kinds of pots going at the same time, uh, you know, and she's stirring the the lamb stew here, and she's running over there and making sure, you know, the corn's being cooked here. And and so it was getting a bit hectic in the kitchen. And she'd be thinking to herself, where is that Mary gone? 
I mean, she's gone 10 minutes. Does she not understand that I'm busy in here and the men will be ravenous out there? Can she not see that? Why is she not coming in? And so the more she thought about that, uh, the more she began to get frustrated and, and not a little angry. How dare Mary leave me here alone? Who does she think she is? I mean, she's the youngest. I mean, I know I'm in charge, but I need all the help I can get in here. So all this stuff was going through her mind. And I mean, she was building up a head of steam by now. You can imagine her, I mean, getting hot under the gills. And she's just getting so frustrated with what's happening here. I mean, they're talking about the kingdom, but what is all that talk about this future kingdom? I mean, it's here and now that's important. What I'm doing right now, right here, that's the most important thing. Surely Mary can see that. I mean, these men are hungry. They need fed. That's the important thing, isn't it? Until finally, in her frustration and in her anger, she lost the plot. And I can imagine... I can imagine her just throwing pots and pans all over the place. I mean, she just had it by now. And she just barged in. And Jesus is just in mid-sentence. And she just barged in. And she just blurted out, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Huh. That one statement of Martha reveals quite a lot about her. And it could reveal quite a lot about us too if we listen. Because even though she was godly and even though she was good, yet she was selfish. Because in her mind at that moment, that her job, her agenda, her gifting, her calling, that was more important than anyone else's especially Mary's. Her self-importance overruled everything else. And self does that. Self thinks of its agenda, its plan, its job, its importance. Of course, none of us would be like that. Sure, we wouldn't. None of us would ever think that way. Or would we? Let me tell you how that works out in practical terms. <clears throat> From time to time, I've been asked to speak at conferences. And if you're a speaker at a conference, you have to understand and realize that you're not the only one. There's others. And there's singers. Perhaps there's people telling a story, testifying. Announcements has got to be made. And invariably, particularly if you're the last speaker on, time is of the essence. And I have sat in a conference up to two hours waiting to get up to speak. And even though I'm smiling, inside, I'm not a happy bunny. Do they not know that I have spent all week preparing this great message? <laughs> that everybody's waiting to hear. And here they have all these people up waffling. And singers, we didn't come here to hear singers, we came here preaching. See how selfish and arrogant that can be? And you look at your watch and you're thinking, I know what they're going to do, they're going to give me 10 minutes. 
I couldn't even draw a breath in 10 minutes. I couldn't even introduce this in 10 minutes. And the longer you sit like that, the worse it gets. And what you don't realize is that God is just saying, well, we'll just let's let you stew a while longer then <laughs> till you calm down. <laughs> but none of you would ever feel like that. What about the Christmas drama? What about your part? Maybe you think that's the important part. And, and why don't they get to my bit? I, I mean, I've been waiting here an hour and they haven't even called me yet. You know, my, my bit's important. See how that works. And that's what Martha was like here. Her feeling of what she had to do was more important than anybody else's that moment. It just got the hold of her, didn't it? And then her, her selfishness really showed up in her arrogance and rudeness. Because that's what it does also. And she actually said to Jesus, Lord, do you not care? Imagine accusing Jesus of being uncaring. <laughs> the most caring man on the planet. <laughs> but you see all that laughter at that moment. Because what she had to do was more important than even what Jesus was doing in her mind. All that kingdom stuff, that can wait. The food can't wait. It's going to be burnt to talk any longer. So she was under stress. And she just blurts out, Lord, do you not care? And then she even gives orders to Jesus. She orders him about. Therefore, tell her, tell Mary, tell Mary to help me in the kitchen. <laughs> I, I can imagine her standing there pointing at Mary with her eyes blazing and the veins out in her neck <laughs> and her voice raised. I mean, everybody just stopped mid-sentence. Just She just let rip. Of course, you wouldn't do that either. I know, I know that you're good, godly, gentle people. You'd never lose your bop. Sure you wouldn't. Never in a million years would you lose your temper. No, of course not. Now, unlike Mary serving Jesus was more important to her than being with Jesus. See, to her, being was not so important as serving. Now, before we condemn Martha, let those of us who love to serve, who live to serve, have a look at ourselves. Do we not want to rush to do rather than to be? You see, if you're, if you're task-oriented, if you're service-oriented, if you just want to get on with stuff, your tendency is to get on with it. And, th and that's what Martha was like. That was her nature. That's how she worked. And is it not a danger that those of us who love to serve can fall into that trap of doing rather than being? I, I mean, is doing and serving, is that not a much more tangible measurable, demonstrable way of, of devoting ourselves to Christ. I mean, we can measure that. Well, I did this, and I did that, and I accomplished that, and I did that, the other. Well, 
Evidently, Jesus didn't think so. Evidently, he didn't think so. In John 11 and 5, which we'll read in a moment, it says, Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. And he loved Martha. And I'm glad that the Bible says he loved Martha. Because it helps us to understand what he says next. Because he rebukes her. But I believe it was a mild rebuke. Because not only did he love her, but he knew that she loved him. So let's not say that Martha loved Jesus less than Mary, or that Jesus loved Mary more than Martha. The Bible makes it clear that he loved them all equally. And I have no doubt that Martha loved Jesus every bit as Mary, but she felt she had a different way of expressing that. And so his rebuke, I believe, was mild. It was just that in her desire to please him, she forgot the one thing that really pleases him. In verse 41 and 42, Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha. Note the double emphasis. I haven't time this morning to go into double emphasis, but you should take note of the times in the Bible when, when somebody's name is mentioned twice. Like when God spoke to Abraham, remember he was up Mount Moriah and he was going to sacrifice his only son, and God spoke and says, Abraham, Abraham! Because he was so intent on in plunging the dagger in. Or how that he said to Saul on the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Or Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And here we have again, Martha, Martha, really wanting to get her attention. Now, she was in a, in a, a fit of peak at this moment. I mean, her temperature was up. The red mist had descended. <laughs> he really had to get her attention. And I, I could imagine him in a loving way. I, I could imagine him just almost, maybe just shaking his head a little bit and says, Martha, Martha, Martha. Martha, come on. He was appealing to her. Martha, Martha. You are worried and you're troubled about many things. The authorized version says you're careful about many things. You're anxious, anxiously worried about many things. Jesus tells another scripture be not anxious. Be not careful about things. doesn't mean that we shouldn't consider things, but not be full of care about things. He says you're cumbered, meaning distracted, sidetracked, and troubled about many things. The word troubled there, from that comes a word meaning crowd. And the feeling is that, that her mind was crowded. It was overcrowded with anxiety and concern and worry about the task at hand that had to be done right. 
You know, she had to have everything precisely done right. She must have been a perfectionist. How many knows of your perfectionist? Everything has got to be done just right. But then he says, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the good part. Ouch. That was not the answer she was looking for. Not the response that she expected. But it's what she needed. I think that she must have blushed at that point. And I think about that moment when Jesus said those words. I think that she must have thought, Lord, I've missed this. I've totally missed it. Here I am, all these hours I have prepared and I have worked and I have sweated and I have laid out and I have done all of this. All of these hours is not worth, is worth less than just five minutes in the presence of the Master. I think she must have blushed. And in that moment, the realization of what she had said and what she had done, I think, hit her. He himself, remember, was the bread of life. And Mary had understood that. And Mary decided to sit at his table and feed and feast from him the bread of life rather than him sitting at her table feeding of her bread. And I think that Mary understood that certainly much more than Martha. And I think in a way, Jesus was saying to Martha, Martha, come, sit at my table. Sit at my feet. Spend some time and I'll give you the bread of life. I'll feed your soul. Remember Jesus one time when he stood at the well with the woman at the well. The disciples had gone into the village to get some food and they came back and they were, they were quite amazed that he was standing talking to this Samaritan woman. And remember what Jesus says, I have a food to eat that you know not of. Spiritual food. And in a way, he was saying to Martha, look, you know, in the future, you'll have lots of opportunity in the days that lie ahead to serve me in so many different ways. But right now, just sit at my feet. Just learn from me. I'm talking important things here. You know, Jesus knew that the cross was looming very large in his life. So you can be sure what he was saying around the table that day was very, very important, very profound. And he wanted Martha to catch it as much as Mary was catching it. Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. And the three incidents that involves Mary with Jesus, she's always found at his feet. Here she's found at his feet learning. The next scripture we're going to read in a moment or two, she's found at his feet crying. And then the third incident, we see in John 12, she's found at his feet worshiping. She's always found at his feet. In the three times that it mentions Martha in connection with Jesus, two out of the three times in the Gospels, she's serving. But that was her bent. And there's nothing wrong with serving. Nothing. 
We need to serve. There's a place for worshiping. There's a place for working. And the kingdom of God needs both. Without work, nothing would be accomplished in the kingdom. Without worship, nothing would be worth accomplishing in the kingdom. Because it would be just self. So we need the both, don't we? And so Mary's devotion and worship, her desire to hear and learn the word of God, it was commended by Jesus to her everlasting credit. <laughs> now we're not finished with Martha quite yet. And I'm glad we're not. Because if we left it just there, you might get an impression about Martha that I think would be a little bit unfair on Martha. So we're going to come back to her in a moment. I want us to come to John now chapter chapter 10. Chapter 11, beg your pardon. John chapter 11. And this, of course, is the well-known story of the raising of Lazarus. Remember, we're focusing on, on Mary and Martha in the, uh, today in these stories. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Martha who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now, John here is writing as a very old man. By the time John's writing this, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus has long since gone to the glory. And so he adds this little bit in here about Mary anointing Jesus. But actually that doesn't happen quite here, quite yet. It hasn't happened yet. You'll see it in the next chapter, which we'll finish with this morning. Therefore the sister sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now we don't know what this sickness was. We don't know how long Lazarus was sick. We have no reason to believe that he was a sickly man for years Perhaps this was some kind of consumption he took or some illness or other, obviously was. Perhaps it came on him fairly recently. Uh, no doubt when it came on him, they, they'd be careful to, to tend him and to watch him and to feel his temperature and to put you know, cold towels on his brow and maybe give him something to make sure he ate or he drank, he wasn't dehydrated. So they would do all that they could humanly do uh, you know, while their brother was sick in order to try to to get him back to health. But obviously and evidently there came a point where they realized he's not going to make it. He's literally dying before us. We've got to do something. So what else would they do other than send for Jesus? And so they must have got somebody who had been visiting that day or relatives who came to see Lazarus and they says, look, go and find Jesus. Well, what are we going to say to him? Say, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. That's all you've got to say. He'll know exactly who that is. Because he knows us. He knows we're dear friends. And he knows that we love him and he loves us. So that's all they had to say. And so he did say that. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, I'm, I'm sure that was not the response that the messenger 
expected. It's kind of cryptic. The disciples were used with Jesus saying some things that were a little bit cryptic and sometimes, the, you know, he said things to the crowd that even they didn't understand and, you know, especially the parables and, you know, they would take Jesus and say, well, what did you really mean? And he explained to them. And I think this is one of those times when they're just not, well, what does he really mean by that? We're not just really sure. But note this again. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And I'm glad that that's there in this story. Because it shows us that whatever Jesus is going to do and however he handles this situation, it's out of love. It's not because he's being callous or careless or doesn't care. He does care deeply. He loves this family. So, after it says he loves them, then it says, so, so you'd expect them to just go, wouldn't you? Because it just says he loves them. But no. No, no. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, that just seems out of character. I mean, Jesus loved to heal people. He went out of his way to heal people. He took special journeys and boats to deliver people. And here is his most dearest, precious friends on earth. And when he hears one of them is sick, not how really badly sick he is, he decides, no, I'm not going yet. It just seemed out of character. Then, after this, after those two days he stayed more, after this he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Huh. Now maybe this is the reason why the disciples maybe thought, well, well, you know why he's not going to go to Bethany. Remember Bethany is just two miles outside of Jerusalem. This is the time of great opposition to Jesus. So the disciples probably secretly thought, well, he probably doesn't want to go there because it's quite dangerous to go there. But that wasn't his reason at all, was it? So he said, let us go to, into Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you're going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world, light of this world. But if he walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What does he mean by that? Well, in those days, when people traveled, they traveled during the day. It was safer. You know, 12 hours of daylight, 12 hours of darkness. From, from 6 in the morning to 6 at night was generally clear. Good time to travel. Travel at night, you're in danger of bandits or predators or all kinds of mischief could happen to you. So most travelers traveled during the day and rested at night. But what Jesus is saying here, listen, spiritually speaking, Spiritually speaking now, there's still some daylight left for me to do my works. The night's coming when no man can work. He said that in another place. Uh, you know, the, uh, the hours of the power of darkness is just, it's not just quite happened yet, but it's coming soon. But while I have the opportunity, while there's still light, I'm going to work. That's what he said. Then these things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps. Would I go that I may wake him up? Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. Because they thought he was talking about natural sleep. 
However, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. And Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not here, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas was a doubter, but he got some guts at least. Because he thought, if we go here, we're done for, for sure. We're just walking into a bear trap here. I mean, those Jews are just waiting for us if we go to Bethany. It's just two miles away from the temple. I mean, we're in trouble here. That's what he was thinking. So when Jesus came, he found that he had been already been in the tomb four days. Now, in studying this and researching for this message, I came across something that I never had heard before. One author said that in those days particularly, he said there was a superstition, a belief. Because often fishermen had beliefs about ghosts. You know, when Jesus walked on the water to them, they thought it was a ghost they'd saw. And one of the superstitions and beliefs was that when somebody died, that their spirit hovered around for three days, waiting to see if there was any chance that they could go back into the body again and, and come to life again. But after the third day, decay uh, would set in. Corruption would set in and they knew there was no chance and that would be them gone. That was a superstition. So maybe Jesus waited beyond that three-day period to corruption had set in so there would be no question of some superstitious nonsense happening. It would be a miracle of God. It would be truly God at work. So Jesus came and he found that he was already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the woman around Martha and Mary to, to comfort them concerning their brother. So this family was well known. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. She was mourning. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Hmm. How do you think she said that? I think Martha being Martha, I think she's quite worked up by this time. After all, they had sent for Jesus days before. And I mean, he's, he's just down the road. I mean, he, was, he could have got here. No question, he could have got here. Why did he not come? I mean, Lazarus is in the tomb now. He didn't even come to the funeral. Can you believe it? I mean, he, we thought he was our friend. He, he loved us. We loved him. He, he had our home many, many times. And, and, and the very time we needed him the most, he's not there. He didn't come. So I, I could imagine that she was uh, a little bit peeved, put it mildly. Lord, if you had been here, why did you not come? If you just had come, my brother would not have died. Why did you let this happen? But then when she said that, you know, she'd have a blurting out, didn't she? Remember she did that and come out of the kitchen in a bit of a temper. I think when she said that, then she realized 
And I think she quickly, quickly realized and calmed herself. Because look what she says then next. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Hmm. She's had second thoughts now. I mean, she's, she's vented her spleen, as it were, and now she's, she's calm. But, you know, she made a statement there, and, you know, and really it was a statement of faith, wasn't it? Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. And Jesus is going to test her here. Remember, Mar Mary's in the house. She's not here at this point. It's just Jesus and Martha. We're not finished with Martha yet. And Jesus is not finished with her. He's going to test her here. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Yeah, I know that. I understand that. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. That means ultimately. Note this. Do you believe this? See how he's testing her. Do you believe this? In verse 27, you need to underline this in your Bible. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. What a statement. Few people, few people understood what she just said in that moment. Few people had grasped what she had grasped at that moment. You remember when Peter said something similar? Who do men say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father in heaven. This was revelation from God. And Mary had got revelation. You see, I believe back in that day, in that incident in the kitchen. Uh, sorry, Martha got revelation. I believe that that day back in the kitchen, I believe that from that moment, Martha had learned a valuable lesson. And even though she would always serve all of her life, because that's the way she was wired, God made her that way, but now she is also a disciple, a disciplined learner. And I believe from that moment she went back and she must have poured over the scriptures and she got a full grasp of who Christ really was more than most people did. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. What a statement from Martha. This, did, this didn't come from Mary. This came from Martha. You'd expect this from Mary, but Mary's not even here. This comes from Martha. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. Isn't that a lovely? The teacher, Jesus, has come and he's calling for you. Wouldn't that be lovely to hear if an angel came to you and said, Jesus has come and he's calling for you. Mary's heart must have leapt within her when she heard those words. And as soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. So a little bit out of the town where the dead were buried, that's where it would be, near the graveyard. 
Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then, when Mary came to Jesus, where where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The exact same words as Martha. No doubt they had rehearsed it. No doubt they had talked about it for days. Why didn't he come? Why is he not here? If only he had a cane. But note this. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? Now we know that Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do before he even came to the tomb. And we know that he was weeping because he saw what sin had done to humanity. You know, Jesus, 33 years of age, (laughs) he saw a lot of death in his time. A lot of people died that he would know about, of course, but these were really close to his heart. And here right in his face, Mary and her friends are weeping. They're inconsolable. They've lost their precious brother. Now you must understand that if Martha was a widow or never married and it looks like Mary was a single woman, you know, a widow and a single woman in those days, they hadn't much going for them. They needed a man. They needed somebody to be the breadwinner. That's the way it was in those days. And to lose their brother, the only one that can help them, it was a big thing, this. I mean, they were heartbroken losing him, but their whole future was shot through right at this point. And they said to him, Lord, come and see. In verse 35, Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Is there any more poignant words in the Bible than those two words, Jesus wept? Yes, he wept when he saw what sin had done to humanity. But I believe it was just more than that. He entered into their hurt and their pain. He had empathy. The Bible says that Jesus is our high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, our weaknesses our hurts and our pains. He feels that. He's the sympathizing Jesus. The Bible says that God puts our tears in his bottle, says in the Psalms. Are they not in his book? God looks at her tears. He feels them. He sees them. And Jesus was in the flesh. He was human. In the flesh, he felt. And he wept. And he said, see how he loved him. And then some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? See, there's the age-old argument, isn't it? I mean, if God is really a God, he's all-powerful, he's omnipotent, he can do anything, he created the universe, could he not stop all the wars? Could he not stop the children dying in Africa of starvation? Could he not stop AIDS and tuberculosis? Could he not do all of this? He's got all the power. And if he has all that power and he's not doing it, then he doesn't love because he's not a God of love. See, that's the old devil's argument, isn't it? Try to make us doubt the love of God. 
Some said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? You know, part of that was in Mary and Martha's thinking too, Lord, if you hadn't been here, why were you not here? You don't love us? You don't understand the pain we were going through? I mean, was it too much trouble to make your way down the road to do this? I mean, they must have been thinking those things. Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave. Stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Martha being the ultra-perfectionist, the tidier-upper of the home, the very thought of opening it. Hmm. Jesus said unto her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he says, Father, I thank you that you, note that, underline it, have heard me. Nah. Jesus really done his praying before he came to the tomb. I believe the moment he heard that Lazarus was sick, sick unto death, I believe that's when he prayed to the Father and says, Father, what do you want me to do? Because not everybody that dies is going to be raised up in this life. Father, what do you want me to do? What's your will in this? And obviously the Father must have said, my will is that he rise again. And then he could wait. And he could afford to wait. There'd be no panic. He knew exactly what he was going to do. Because he'd done his praying. I know that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this. He didn't have to pray any prayer here. It was just for their sakes. He really prayed his prayer. He's going to give a command in a moment. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! I have a message somewhere I preached years ago. It's called, Dead men can't hear too good. People who's dead in trespasses and sins can't hear too good and sometimes God's got to shout at them to get their attention. Somebody says it's a good job he said Lazarus of everybody in the graveyard would have rose up. Probably would have too. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped in a cloth and Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Ha, what a story. What a mighty miracle of God right before their eyes. And Martha, bless her. Jesus tested her faith. He gave her an examination. And you know what? She got an A+. Plus. <laughs> she got an A+. Plus. Isn't that good? She passed it with flying colors. Hmm. Before we move on, can I just add this little thought? Old F.B. Meyer, fantastic writer. You know, just reading a little bit and what he said about this, you know, he said that sickness comes even to the most godliest of homes. And it does, doesn't it? So what happens next? Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. Thank God for that. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. 
Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. Then one of them, Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you consider that it's expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not, sorry, this he did not say on his own authority, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. He didn't really know he was actually doing something very prophetic here. And not that, that for that nation only, but also that he would gather together and one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Now you would have thought, wouldn't you, that if you had been there and seen somebody being raised from the dead who'd been in a tomb four days and actually coming out with their grave clothes, you would have thought that your life, you never ever would have disbelieved or turned against Jesus. But it shows you the wickedness of the human heart, doesn't it? Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with the disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the, before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. So that's the conditions under which Jesus is about to come again into Bethany. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And there made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus one who sat at the table with him. Now, uh, both Matthew and Mark uh, also tell this story. But neither of them mention that it's Mary who's about to anoint Jesus with this precious ointment, which we're going to read in a second. There's a little bit of discrepancy here. And they say that it was two days before the feast. John says it was six days before the feast. But because the feast lasted several days, we're not sure whether it was two days before the end of the feast or before the start of the feast or six days before the start of the feast. We're just not sure. Or was it two days before the end of it or six days before the end of it? We're not sure. And also... Whenever this anointing takes place, uh, John says that he anointed the feet of Jesus and they say it was the head of Jesus. So that's why some believe that Matthew and Mark are describing another anointing. He said he was anointed three times. One by the sinful woman in the house of Simon the Pharisee and the other here, both Matthew and Mark actually says it's at the home of Simon the leper. So, my belief is, having looked at it over and over and over again, I've weighed everything up. My belief is, I will fall on the side of those who say that this was one anointing, and it was at the house of Simon the leper, but Martha was the one who was serving, and Mary was the one who was anointing. Now, Martha was a great hostess. She was well known in the area. Simon the leper, perhaps, 
He was maybe he was a single man. Mary would Martha would take charge in the kitchen as normal. They all knew each other. It was a very small village. They could have even been related for all we know. So that's the scene. And Jesus comes here. They're in the house of Simon the leper. Martha's servant as usual. And Mary, what does she do? She's listening. She's listening to conversation. And again, you can be sure that Jesus will be sharing great truth, especially, especially about what was coming in just a few days' time. Because he was going to go to the cross very, very shortly. That was what would be on his heart. So Mary's listening to all of this. And the reason why I say that is because of what she did next. Mary's listening to all of this. And while she's listening, I think the thought came to her. Because everybody knew that story about the sinful woman who anointed Jesus in the house of Simon the Pharisee. And I think Mary thought, Jesus is going to die very shortly. She sensed it. She knew it. She felt it. She listened to what he said. She read into what he said. She picked up on it. You know what I think she did? I think she ran to her house. And she'd enter her bottom drawer. And she brought out that alabaster box of very precious ointment called nard, which was imported from India at great cost. And perhaps this was something that she had gathered up over the years. Maybe she had scrimped and saved all those years from a little girl. For one day, perhaps it would be her dowry. Or maybe to perfume herself on her wedding day. But when she heard that Jesus was saying, and she realized he was going to die very shortly, something just clicked in her spirit. She thought, I know what I'll do with that. I will save it no longer. I'll pour it out upon Jesus. So listen what happened. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. It must have been... It was, the house was just full of it. It would just be clinging to their very clothes. Jesus, everywhere he went for that next couple of days, he'd be on his clothes, it'd be every, you could smell it, it'd be aroma, the fragrance would be everywhere. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, the other two gospel writers, Matthew and Mark, says some of his disciples. So there's probably more than one was thinking this. Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? 300 denarii is 300 days a working man's wage. That's almost a year's wages. That's how expensive this was. Could you imagine, man, if your wife says, I want you to buy me a bottle of perfume, much is going to cost? It's going to cost you a year's wages. Some of that perfume nearly would cost you a year's wages. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you always will have with you, but me you do not always have. Jesus saw the significance of this. 
And he and Mary, their hearts, was on the same wavelength here. Out of all of that group, Mary was the one now that caught the Spirit and understood what was going to happen. And was doing all that she could, probably feeling, I'll never, ever, ever get another chance to do this. I better do it right now. Because I'm not going to get the chance. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief police priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. And if you were to read that story through, you know what you'd find if you read the Gospels? You'd find that it was that time that, that Judas went out and actually... It was around this time he was plotting and plotting and plotting to betray the Son of God. And the chief priests and Pharisees were, this came to the crescendo, the, came to the climax of their plotting. Shortly after that was when he was going to be arrested and he would go to a cross. And Mary did the right thing when she anointed Jesus with that very precious oil. What a wonderful, beautiful act of devotion that Mary did on Jesus. How costly it was. How precious it was. It was everything she had. It represented her whole future. And she poured it out upon Christ. There's something to learn there, isn't there? If we're going to be devoted followers of Jesus, it's going to cost us something. We're going to have to lay down something sometime, somewhere and her devotion to Christ. But do you know what? It's worth it. The other two gospel writers say, when the people complain, they say, wherever this gospel is preached, what this woman has done will be given as a testimony, a memorial. 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, here am I preaching about her. I wonder how many preachers all over the world today is preaching on that chapter that I'm preaching. And they're saying those things about Mary. Because she honored the Lord and the Lord honored her, didn't he? Let's pray.